0: Peter Greenberg's latest book has been described as the PDR for travelers. Even if you are a seasoned traveler, you may learn a thing or two. Welcome to the ReachMD Book Club. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, author of You Can Think Like a Psychiatrist, your host. And with me today is the travel editor for NBC's Today Show, CNBC, and MSNBC, Peter Greenberg. Welcome to ReachMD, Peter. Happy to be with you. Now, Peter, you've just published a new book, The Complete Travel Detective Bible. I learned a bunch, even from the introduction, and I'm sure I'm not the first person to say that you probably have the greatest job in the world.
1: (laughs) Well, you know, people say that all the time until I tell them my schedule. I'm traveling about 400,000 miles a year. Oh, my gosh. I'm talking to today. It's probably the only day I'm not on an airplane in a given week. Wow. So uh, when people say, where do I live? I say, I usually live in seat 6B. (laughs)
0: Hopefully it's first class anyway.
1: Not always. Remember, you know, I have to fly the way everybody flies and you have to figure out the process, not just the product. None of the people listening to the show, I don't think, needs me to tell them that the sun sets nicely in the Bahamas. They can figure that one out for themselves. Mm. What they really want me to tell them is, while the sun is setting nicely in the Bahamas and the airline has lost your (laughs) bag and the hotel has no record of your reservation, and the cab driver just took you on a 40-mile ride in town when it should have been two, how can I get you the information you need and the questions you need to ask and to whom so that none of that stuff ever happens to you? And that's really what I deal with.
0: Now, Peter, you mentioned in this book your tried-and-true travel guidelines. Can you fill us in?
1: Well, there's a philosophy here, and the philosophy is really quite simple. I want everybody to think about this. Can you name one other business that manages to stay in business by consistently abusing its best customers Mm. other than the airline business? And so... We're out there dealing with the indifference of a public utility almost every time we fly, and yet we all like to travel. We're a nation of addicted travelers. We can't wait to go. You know, when my parents traveled, their philosophy and their approach to travel was essentially one of, well, we're going either as a family emergency or we're doing this once every six years with a Nina, the Pinto, and the Santa Maria. (laughs) We don't do that these days. We travel because we think it's our birthright, and we travel early and often. So the basic mantra, if you will, and I also not just call it a mantra, I call it a mandate, is to never take a no from someone who's not empowered to give you a yes in the first place. To basically understand that you need to find that person to give you a yes, or you will be an abused traveler. And when you think about the entire process of travel, there are about 47 different points of abuse waiting for you from the time you decide you want to go somewhere till the time you struggle back home, hoping against hope that your bags are on the same flight that you were. So you have to understand the questions to ask. It's not about the product. It's about the process. It's not about the destination. It's about the experience.
0: And it seems like everybody actually takes great delight in abusing us when we're traveling.
1: Well, you know, there's a joke out there right now that says that the airlines really have a new motto, and the motto is, we're not happy until you're not happy. (laughs) And to a certain extent, I think that's true, and it may not even be intentional. It's just evolved that way. I mean, when you think about why we fly, I mean, let's be honest. We're not flying for the rich Corinthian leather. We're not flying for the, the wine list. We're not flying for the Broadway show tunes the flight attendants might be performing on board. We're flying to go from point A to point B and not die. That's really what it's all about. And in that respect, the airlines have done a great job. We've gone over almost seven years without a single major airline jet fatality in this country. I always have to laugh when people call me angry after a flight, and they tell me it was the most horrendous flight they ever took. It was horrible. It was worse than the Holocaust. I mean, every possible adjective you can imagine of telling me how bad it was. And my response to them is always the same. I always say to them, let me ask you something. During your flight, at any time during your flight, did your plane hit a mountain? No, it didn't. Oh, good. And when you landed, did the wings cartwheel and explode into flames? Gee, they didn't do that either. Guess what? You didn't have a horrible flight. You had a fabulous flight because you landed. Mm -hmm. Let's not lose sight of the basics.
0: So when you say never take a no from somebody who really is in a position to say that, how do you get in front of people that do have some power?
1: Oh, it's very simple. It's like trying to get your phone installed. When you call the phone company and ask to get a phone installed, the person on the other end of that phone is only really empowered to tell you it's going to take three weeks. And 98% of us say, oh, okay. And we sit at home and read a book for the next 21 days waiting for the guy to arrive. No, you have to speak to their supervisor. And when you finish that conversation, it's down to two weeks. Then you have to speak to their supervisor's supervisor. It's down to one week. And by the time you're off the phone with the mother of all supervisors, there's a guy at your door with a jack and a screw and a phone, and you're in. It's just about figuring out who that person is. There's always someone there who can override the policy because there's nothing legally here we're talking about. We're talking about policy and the airlines can make any policy they want. It's always very flexible if they want it to be flexible. Mm-hmm.
0: I always have paranoid fear that they're going to put a little note in my file and say, oh, she's a troublemaker. Uh, do they really?
1: Oh, you see, that's not the deal. They don't You're do You're only that. a troublemaker if you want to go to the wall. What you have to do is to enlist them in your army. And get them to share your sense of urgency and compassion. And that's just about being nice. The other mistake that many people make and many of your listeners make, I guarantee you this, I'll ask you the question, okay? Doctor, how often do you fly?
0: I actually fly a lot. I fly every week.
1: Okay, out of which particular airport? (laughs) Boise, Idaho. Okay, perfect example. Can you give me the first and last name of anybody who works at the airport?
0: I know all of the TSAs by first name and my preferred airline people by first name. Well, and guess I guess
1: what? You are the exception to <laughs> the rule because most people don't. They can tell you they're a butcher, they're a baker, they're a candlestick maker, but they can't tell you a single first and last name of anybody at the airport. So as far as the airline is concerned, or in your case, the airline and the government, every time you fly, it's your very first flight and you're treated accordingly. Mm. You need to establish those relationships. And if you don't, I guarantee you, you will be abused
0: is it true that you catch more flies with honey than with vinegar or should we be jerks when we're out there?
1: You catch more flies with clarity. It's not to be honey, it's clarity. And you also catch them with interest. I learn every time I fly by sitting around and talking to the people who work at the airlines, And then I do something that my mother always told me to do. I write my thank you letter.
0: Mm.
1: Now let's say I meet a guy at the airport, his name is John Doe. And I get to learn about John Doe and the entire Doe family and his early childhood years and his first sexual experience.
0: (laughs) You sound like a psychiatrist, Peter.
1: You know what? That's half the battle right there. (laughs) And then guess what? I write my thank you letter. And I know what you're thinking. Well, the next time I go to the airport, John Doe's not there, but Mary Jane is there. Mm. Well, what do I have in common with Mary Jane? John Doe. Mm. And by my third trip to the airport, it's an alumni reunion. (laughs) And I haven't asked them for anything. The best way to get great service is to never have to ask for it. It's just to be nice My mother once taught me the following, and I've never forgotten it. It's much more important to be interested than to be interesting. Hmm. And I have never lost that, and I continue to be interested in everything I do, which means that once you're interested in someone else, and interested in the way they do their job, and by the way, I truly am, it's amazing how nice everybody is to you.
0: If you're just joining our discussion, you're listening to ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is travel writer Peter Greenberg. We are discussing his latest book, The Complete Travel Detective Bible. Peter, I understand that your father was a physician.
1: Yes, my father was a great physician. For those doctors listening to this show, I encourage you all to go to your video rental store or go to Netflix and find a movie called The Last Angry Man. It was an amazing black-and-white movie done in the late 40s, early 50s, starring Paul Muni. No one remembers it these days. They don't even show it in the medical schools these days. You want to see how medicine was really a profession of compassion and service? Watch that movie. That was the way my dad operated as a doctor. He believed that you couldn't care for your patients unless you cared about them. You had to listen to your patients. You just couldn't dispense medicine. And when you walked into his waiting room, there were probably 35 people waiting there, and they knew everyone there knew they'd have to wait at least an hour to get their moment. But when they got their moment, they got his undivided attention. And that's the way medicine I wish could still be. And uh, he was a brilliant pathologist and diagnostician who, by the way, didn't travel very often at all. He didn't come from that generation. And in fact, it was a while before he even accepted my lifestyle because he thought I was a madman the mm. way I used to run out to the airport. But it was because my mother made my dad actually travel that I did start to see the world at an early age. And for that, I'm always grateful.
0: Are there travel mistakes that you see doctors frequently make? Oh, sure.
1: You know, you can't play God in somebody else's waiting room. <laughs> that's the bottom line. It's a control issue thing. You know, you could be a control freak in your office. You could be a control freak on the ward. You could be a control freak when you're making your, your rounds. When you're in a different environment, you got to relax. You got to roll with the flow and be a nice guy or a nice woman. You know, you're not playing God there at the airport. And there are other people who want to play that role. And you better defer to them because that's their job.
0: So we need to leave our doctorliness behind?
1: Well, your bedside manner, don't forget it. But leave the rest of it at home.
0: Okay. Any specific strategies that you can give our listeners of how to make their next travel experience more palatable?
1: Sure. First thing you have to do is to be a contrarian traveler. And if you think I'm nuts, let me give you a couple of examples. Let's start with an airport. Let's start with making a reservation. Bottom line is, I don't trust any departure board at every airport, I don't trust any signage at any airport. I don't think they've ever told the truth since 1947. (laughs) So, what I do is, if I know I've got an early morning flight tomorrow morning, what I'll do, of course, is I'll go online and print up my boarding pass the night before. The day before, I will actually FedEx my bags on a domestic destination, because I believe there are only two kinds of airline bags, carrying on and lost. And now there's not just FedEx, there's UPS and DHL and about 15 other services that will do door-to-door bag carrier service for you, and those are also outlined in my new book. But that's just the beginning, because what I'm about to tell you is going to save everybody listening to the show between two and two and a half hours of their life every time they take a flight not round-trip, per flight. So, now, I've got my boarding pass that I printed up the night before. I've already shipped my bags ahead of me. And now what do I do? When I go to the airport for that early morning flight, I don't go to the departure level. That's a zoo. I'm stuck in traffic. I go to the arrivals area. Why? There's nobody arriving at 6 o'clock in the morning. It's empty. No one's going to make me move my car quickly. No one's going to, you know, shoo me away. I won't be stuck in traffic. I get out of my car with just my carry-on bags. I go up the escalator. I've already got my boarding pass. And I go right through security. Now, When I get to where I'm going, I reverse the process. I don't have my car pick me up at arrivals. That's a refugee center. (laughs) That's screaming guard dogs, police, people begging for bags that will never arrive, and traffic jams. I have my car picking me up at departures. It's totally empty. No police and guard dogs up there. They can pull right up to the curb, get me, and off I go. And when I get to my hotel, guess where my bags are? They're in my room. Now, how much time have I saved? Also, how much pressure, Mm. how much abuse have I avoided A lot.
0: Is there any truth to the fable that if you dress nicely, you're more likely to get upgraded?
1: You know what? It works another way. The best way to get an upgrade is not to ask for one. And I'll explain. It goes back to my conversation about knowing the first and last name of the people who work at the airport and writing your thank you letters. When you establish those relationships and you talk to them about anything other than the upgrade, you're more likely than not to get one if there's a seat available. They have the power and the discretion to do that. But yet, when you get to most airline counters at the gate, what do you see? A circle of travelers walking around aimlessly in a circle, right, mumbling to themselves <laughs> because they've already asked in a one-dimensional way, "Can I get an upgrade? And, of course, the answer was no. And they're dead, right? Mm-hmm. If you get to know the person and you talk to them about anything other than the upgrade and you're truly interested in how things work, which, by the way, you want to be interested because it helps you become a better traveler, at one point, if you're really nice They basically open their mouth and give you the five magic words. Would you like to hear them? Five magic words. Five magic words. Here it comes. Let me see your ticket. And that's when you know you've been upgraded.
0: Well, thank you so much for being on our show today. You're very welcome. We've been discussing the ins and outs of traveling with our guest, travel writer Peter Greenberg, the author of The Complete Travel Detective Bible. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt. You've been listening to the ReachMD Book Club on ReachMD, XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your questions and your comments, so please visit us at reachmd.com. Our new on-demand and podcast features will allow you to access our entire program library. Thank you for listening.